The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Mid-2000s, 2004, 2005, uh, the International Mission Board sent a team of missionaries into Iraq as the doors opened. Part of that team were traveling together and they were ambushed and gunned down and all but one of them in the vehicle in the Humvee that day lost their life. One of them, her name was Karen Watson. Karen knew what she had signed up for and where she was going. And she was so sobered by it that she wrote a letter to her pastor to be read in the event of her death. And the language of that letter is where that song came from. His glory, our reward. Let the peoples praise you, even if it means death. I don't know if you remember that line. She wrote that. She understood what she was doing and she did it willingly for the sake of the gospel. So may we be humbled by people who have gone before us for the sake of Christ and may we be motivated together for the sake of Christ. Because what we're talking about today has to do with how we impact the world that we live in, the community that we live in here as we are a distinct community. So our text today is Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 21, we're on page 978 in the chair Bible, underneath the chair in front of you. I invite you to stand as Joseph comes and reads the word of the Lord. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord but what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always 
and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would make us wise, reveal our foolishness and lead us to repentance, and cause us to understand this day what the will of the Lord is. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. There's several questions that have shaped this series on gospel-centered community. There's several questions that shape how I approach this text. Here are some of them. Why did the Lord call his people into his body? Why did he call them into his church? Let me say it in the other way. Why did God not just save you and leave you out there on your own? To work it out on yourself, to do the mission individually. Why did he bring you into the church? Second, why, why are there local churches? Why is he writing to the church at Ephesus? Why, why is there a local church called Parkwood gathered in this city? It's these kind of questions in which I've sought to approach the word of God and sought to approach Ephesians to answer. So here's the main idea that shapes the sermon in answer to some of those questions. A community of Christ followers distinctly shines as a light in the midst of darkness. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm intentionally not using the word Christian because it's lost its meaning. I'm not ashamed of the word Christian. I'm not afraid to say, if you truly are, to call you a Christian. I'm just intentionally not using the word. I'm using the phrase Christ followers because we're being more distinct as to who we're talking about here. A person who follows Jesus Christ. So a community of Christ followers distinctly shines as light in the midst of darkness. I moved here in 1992 I grew up about an hour north of here, just outside of Hickory. Uh, at that time, you didn't have the internet and a cell phone. So if you want to know what was going on in the world, you either read the paper or watched the news. And I just want to say that channels 3, 9, and 36 were not real friendly to Gastonia. So much so that when I announced I was moving to Gastonia, people were like, why are you moving to Gastonia? Are you crazy? It was known as Little Chicago in the 80s had one of the highest murder rates anywhere in the country. Six weeks after I'd moved here, I'd been in an armed robbery at Winn-Dixie and was surrounded and attacked by a group of teenagers at Tony's Ice Cream, where everybody told me to go. <laughs> I was asking the question, what have I done? I've grown to love this city. Just like any other place, there's darkness. And in some pockets and places, Gastonia may have more darkness than others. I dare say not. But here in the midst of this darkness is light. It's his people. It's communities of Christ followers that have gathered. And he's called these people to be distinct people. And he's described it here in Ephesians 5 to the Ephesian believers as to what this looks like. First, a community of Christ followers distinctly walks in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
We want to worship God. We want to be worshipers of God. We want to please the Lord. Then our model is Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us, who sacrificed himself upon the cross for our sins, who gave himself in our place. He died the death we deserve so that we might have the life that we do not deserve, and that is through Christ. It is a self-giving love, and we are called to walk in this love, to be imitators of God, to reflect him as as his beloved children. When we love, when we walk in love, it gains the attention of a watching world. So brothers and sisters, let me just simply say it this way. Loving or walking in love is a crucial part of the mission of the gospel. Jesus said in John 13, 35, a text we've looked at multiple times through this series, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That one of the distinct natures of the church is that the people within the church love each other. But here in Ephesians 5, he's not limiting it just to loving each other. He's saying that we're to walk in love. That we're to live lives of love. So last year I was discussing with a lady who'd been visiting the church. She'd been here several weeks. And she said... Pastor, I I want to tell you two things. Number one, it's obvious that the people of Parkwood love each other. Number two, nobody has ever spoken to me one time. (laughs) So, brothers and sisters, it's possible for us to become so focused on each other that we forget that there are others who have gathered among us. I just want to be clear with you. People may initially come to Parkwood because they're seeking a church that clearly teaches the Bible, which I pray we do, and a church that worships the Lord clearly. But here's how people decide whether or not they're going to stay. It's how you treat them. It's how we treat others. So let us be conscious to be a distinct people who walk in love. Now he turns from self-sacrificing love to rejecting selfish lust or what the world thinks is love. So the second thing we want to see is that a community of Christ followers distinctly walks in sexual purity. Now I'm going to confess this will be the longest point of the sermon. I think it has to be given the age and the place that we live. And there's certain things that need to be pointed out clearly here today. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So let's define our terms. Sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornea. Sound familiar? It means any sexual relationship outside of the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Impurity presses it further and means any form of sexual sin or illicit sex. Then he says, or covetousness. So you got to ask, is, is Paul switching subjects here? 
Is he saying there must not be sexual sin, sexual immorality, impurity among you, and you must not be a greedy people. Now, the Bible deals with greed in multiple ways, and it could be that's what he means here, but I don't think that's what he means. I think what he means is, because, and I'll get to it more specifically later in the sermon, Ephesus, like the United States in the 21st century, was an over-sexualized culture. To what people were consumed with were sexual things. They coveted them. They worshipped them. They thought about them all the time. Now here's what he's saying. The proper thing or the right thing among the saints, among God's people, is sexual purity. It is not right for God's people to be given to sexual immorality, to impurity and covetousness as it relates to the sexual relationship or any covetousness at all. Now I've got to address something very specific. Uh, This has come up in the last few days and is going to require my attention. Word broke on Friday that Houston, the Houston Chronicle was going to run a major article today. It was so extensive, I didn't have time to read all of it this morning. Some of you may have already seen this. This will make national news. It will go everywhere. For the last several months, a reporter has been researching Southern Baptist churches as it relates to sexual abuse. And he has found over 700 cases of sexual abuse that have gone unreported. Yes, it should be quiet in here. So, with that looming before us and the thought that there must not be any form of sexual immorality among us, let me speak directly to this issue. Number one, we will not, nor have we ever knowingly ignored a case of sexual abuse at Parkwood. We will not, and hear me carefully, I don't care who you are or how long you've been a member or what position you hold in this church. It will not be ignored. Number two, any report of any form of sexual abuse will be investigated and if appears credible in any form, It will be handed over to authorities and offenders will be prosecuted to the fullness of the law. We are not afraid of it going public. In fact, in fact, if that happens here, we want the public to know that we will not tolerate it. Last, all individuals who work with children in this church are required to have a background check and in the last year, are required to complete sexual abuse awareness training. Now, for those of you that have been ignoring this the last couple of months, your days of working with kids are coming to an end if you don't do it. It is an absolute and utter necessity. We have put these things in place along with policies as to how we work with children to protect our children, the most vulnerable among us, and to protect those of you who work with children. This is not the good old days. And by the way, there never were good old days. 
I've dealt with many women in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who were sexually abused. It was ignored is what happened. It no longer will be ignored, and it will not be ignored here. So let us work together to protect our children and to do things in a right and proper manner. Now, let me say this before I move off of this. If something happened to you here or at another local church or at a church in your past or through some ministry, here's what you need to do. You need to handle that appropriately. If you don't know how to handle that, you need to come to me or one of our pastors and we will help you walk through how to handle that appropriately. Here's what is inappropriate. Don't take to social media and ruin other people in the process. The Me Too movement is a good thing. It's brought things to light, but it has also harmed a lot of people in the process. We want to do the right thing the right way. Amen? We want to do the right thing. So if there's something that needs to be dealt with, please tell us. Now, I'm going to skip verse 4 for now, and I'm going to deal with verse 5. For you may be sure of this, certain, this is a certainty, that everyone who is sexually immoral, involved in sexual relationship outside of the marriage between a man and a woman, who is impure, those of you addicted to pornography, you better wake up to this text. Impurity and addiction to pornography are the same thing. Who is covetousness, covetous, idolatry. Just think about it constantly, driven by it. Here's what the Bible says. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So I don't know if I agree with that. Well, it's what the Bible clearly said. Did the Bible stutter here? Now, I'm going to press in on something. For those of you, for those of you who have reacted to the whole homosexual movement, as if homosexuality is a worse sin than heterosexual sin, you're missing the point of the Bible. Homosexuality is not singled out here. It's included, but it is not singled out. All sexual immorality, those who practice, who live that way, who are entrapped to it, are giving evidence that you are in fact not converted. That's what the Bible's saying. What you need is to come to Christ. You need your heart and your life to be changed. Because when it says you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, he's talking about now the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of God at work in the world now, and the kingdom of God that is to come, the future aspects. There cannot and there will not be immorality, impurity, and covetousness in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, but because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, I don't know if you're here. I've never seen this person before. I haven't seen them since. But somebody walked up to me after a special service about six months ago and said, quote, I have a word from you, from God. Don't do that to me. If you want to read the Bible to me, I'm good. But don't come up to me and tell me you got a word from God because this is what was said next. A person's sexuality is not worth their eternal soul. Now, I know what she meant, but you know what I said to her? You're exactly right. 
she stood there for a minute and looked at me like, what, are you agreeing with me? I said, Ephesians says we can be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. What we need to do is repent of our sin. Now here's what the modern world's gonna say to you and it's saying to you. Throw off all these religious convictions, all these constraints that Christianity's put on you and express yourself. I'm reading from Romans. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. This is verse 12 of chapter six. And to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, that's parts of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now the word instruments could be translated weapons. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So something radical has happened to you. And your members, members of your body, to God as instruments or weapons for righteousness. Here's what I'm watching happen. A world around us is convincing people that their bodies are weapons for the sexual revolution. What God is saying to Christ's followers is that our bodies carry us on the mission of God to be the people of God. There must be something very distinct about us as it relates to our sexuality, which is something, verse 4, that we give thanks to God about. It is not something we ignore. It is not something we pretend like you can't ever express. It is a place of gratitude between a man and a woman in marriage. Next, a community of Christ followers distinctly walks as children of light. Romans got to this. You're dead to sin and alive to God. He says, for one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the, in the light. Now, I don't know how many of you are hearing this in your mind, but I'm afraid some of us are hearing this. Once you were in darkness, now you've come into light. That's not what he said. Here's what he said. Once you were darkness, now you are light. That means that something profound has happened. When a person is converted saved, when they become a Christian, their life, not their surrounding, is changed from darkness to light. It is in the Lord. Here he's again coming back to our union with Christ, that we are in Christ and he is in us. That means we have entered a new dominion and that we have become light in the Lord. Now, as a result of this radical transformation in the Lord, we are now commanded, this is a command, present active command to walk as children of the light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true verse 9 these are supernatural characteristics of who we are these are not normal things we're not normally good we're not normally right we're not normally true but the fruit of the light of Christ in us that we are light is that we reflect him and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord we examine we put to the test is this what would be a fragrant offering, back to verse one, to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now there's a lot here, but let me just summarize it. Here's what he's saying. That God is doing his redemptive purpose. He's working his redemptive purpose through the lives of his people. That we shine as light. That we give evidence that God brings people from death to life. And as we are giving evidence, we are calling people from death to life. He describes it this way in Colossians 1. He, that is Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light, if you will, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here's what we're, the conclusion we need to come to. We, as followers of Christ, are light. We are shining the light of Christ and calling those who are in darkness to come to Christ. How does this happen? It happens through our lives and through our lips. It happens through how we live. That how we live is giving evidence of Christ's transformational power to change someone's life. And it comes through what we say and what we communicate through our lips. And listen very carefully to me. Pastor Scott, our community engagement pastor, who was up here a few moments ago, has done incredibly extensive research on Gastonia. In fact, we're going to be releasing it very soon in a prayer book he's put together. Here's what he's found. You know what the number one thing keeping people away from church in Gastonia is? Us. It's hypocrisy. People who claim something and talk about something but don't give evidence to it. I heard a story this week of a man who is not a follower of Jesus, who's in his 60s, who agreed to go to church with his wife a few weeks ago. And when he got there, the first person he saw was a man who lives like the devil the rest of the week, who stood up and testified in church. He's not been back. Brothers and sisters, it's not just what we say, it's how we live. It's our life and our lips. And this is tied very closely to what he says now in verse 15. A community of Christ followers distinctly walks with purpose. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the, most, the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, the opposite of wise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. So let's start right there. It's the number one question you get as a pastor. I'm just trying to find out what God's will is for my life. Woo. What is God's will? Look in chapter 1, verse 9. I just want you to read verses 9 and 10 to yourself for just a few seconds. Asking yourself, what is the will of God? What is the will of the Lord? making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What was a mystery has now been made known. It has been made known through Jesus Christ who came to this earth and gave his sinless life on the cross on your behalf to save you from your sins and rose again after death on the third day to prove that he is Lord. The will of God, the will of God, my friends, is to make this gospel known to the ends of the earth. Let the peoples praise you. Let me go back to my original questions. That's why we're here. You ever pondered this? If, if, if the only purpose of salvation was to take you to heaven, wouldn't it have made sense that the moment you believed, you'd have went to heaven? Would have been a whole lot easier. Why are we still here? We are here so that we make the best use of the time, recognizing the days are evil. So we're careful how we walk. We're not as unwise but as wise. So your second question I get as pastor. And you got to fill in the blank on this one. I'm just going to give you part of the question. Can I fill in the blank? Pastor, is it okay if I fill in the blank? So what are you looking for when you ask a pastor or you ask the Bible a question like that? Can I? You're looking for permission. It's a wrong question. Here's the question. Should I? Should I? Will this make the best use of my time? Will, 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 will this be a wise move to make? Will, will this advance the will of the Lord? Will this make the gospel known? So let me illustrate from my life. So I'm having a dispute with a company here in town over money. It's a lot of money. They owe me a lot of money. I've had at least five meetings now and I was back in there a few weeks ago and I'm talking to the manager and I'm, I'm being kind but direct and we're discussing the matter and what needs to be done and right and as I'm leaned up on the table talking to this man, I felt somebody approach me who then said, hey pastor, how you doing? The guy already knew who I was anyway, but if he didn't, it was just one of those reminders that as I've been in this store every time and approached this issue, this has been my prayer, okay? Some of y'all need to hear what I'm gonna say next. The people working in this place's soul is worth more than what they owe me. It's worth way more. And if I never get my money back, let it be. And I have a question for you. Am I the only person in this room who is on duty all the time? So let's just think about the last time you got shorted something. 
You talk to any waitress in town, they hate Sunday afternoon. Hate it. Christian people, churchgoers are petty and don't tip. So two simple things. I'm not telling you not to go to lunch. Tip generous and be kind. Even if they mess up. We have an opportunity to make the best use of our time. To be wise toward outsiders. To be informed by the word of God and led by the spirit of God. Which brings me to my next point. A community of Christ followers distinctly walks in the spirit. Do not get drunk with wine for this is debauchery. Be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So I want you to go in your imagination. This is easy for some, hard for others. We're in a ship. We're sailing up to Ephesus in the first century. All right. As you're approaching the shore, a big, massive building comes into view. It's right on the water. If you know anything about anything, you know what it is immediately. It's the temple of Diana. It's the center of life in Ephesus. It's why people have traveled there. Diana is the goddess of sex. And people flocked to the temple of Diana. When you got there, you worshiped in two ways. Number one, you purchased your alcohol and first got inebriated. Second, you proceeded into the temple where you chose the prostitute of your choice paid and took that person inside to worship. Now I want you to pretend for a moment you're the church at Ephesus. And I'm the pastor standing up in front of you reading for the first time Paul's letter to us. We can't be sexually immoral at all. Now think about this. This is all you've ever known. It's not a sexual revolution. This is all you've ever known. This is the way it is. When you get together, we don't get drunk. Now, for those of you who have ever heard a pastor use the illustration that, that it's associating drunk with wine to what filled with the spirit looks like, no, no, no. When you get drunk, it affects your your, your ability to make decisions as to what to say and do, it lowers that faculty of your mind. Do you think the Holy Spirit is lowering your faculty of what to say and do? When he just said, be wise and make the most of every opportunity? No, a people was filled by the Spirit. When they come together, They don't come together reflecting the world. They come together filled with the Spirit, addressing each other. So when when the people of God are singing, here's something that they're consciously aware of. One of the reasons I sing is I'm speaking to you. We're speaking to each other. We're teaching each other. We're encouraging each other. 
And all the while, we are making melody in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always. Here's a question I have. What does it look like when a community of Christ followers live for Christ during the week and gather to worship the Lord on the Lord's day? What does it look like when a community of Christ followers live for Christ during the week and gather together in a growth group? What does it look like? I think Acts 4.31 speaks to it. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So let me be clear, brothers and sisters. We don't live here and go live like the world. That's not Christian. You're not a Christian if that's how you're doing it. Sunday Christianity is not Christianity. Christianity is a changed life of a person who follows Christ, period. When those Christ followers come together, having lived in a dark world, wounded and beat up by what they have been a around and tempted with evil and struggling with their own flesh and their sin, when they come together, they speak to each other. And God does a transformational work among one another as the word is brought to bear through singing and through the preaching of the word and he renews our strength and sends us back out in the power of the spirit to continue to speak the word with boldness. And this last principle must be true. We're not a fellowship of Rambos. We're not a bunch of people going out here doing our own thing. We're, we're, we're a community of believers. And here's what it requires. A community of Christ followers distinctly walk in submission to one another. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I asked a Marine drill sergeant from Paris Island one time, what are you looking for in a squad leader? You know what he said? Without, without hesitation is what he said to me. A person who obeys everything I say. I said, so you're not looking for some kind of leader? He said, absolutely not. That guy will get people killed. I'm looking for the guy who will submit. It's what we're to be. We're people who submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ, we show inclination to each other. And it's out of a profound respect, a holy respect for Christ. Now turn with me to Acts 2. Here's my question. What does it look like for a community of Christ followers to submit to one another? Let me say it this way while you're turning. I'm convinced of this. You can come up with all kinds of reasons. At the end of the day, I'm convinced the reason the church is dying in this part of the world is because church has become about me. The moment church becomes about me or my little group, us, the way we want it, it's going to die. But when we submit to one another and we, and we are committed to the mission of God, here's what happens. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all were believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received with their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. 
I don't mean this negative, what I'm going to say next. This is a sobering reality. While this negative report will come out today about Southern Baptists, here's something else you need to know. More than 50% of the Southern Baptist churches recorded zero baptisms last year. Zero. None. Something's wrong. Something's profoundly wrong. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when it becomes about you or me or the way we want it done as opposed to what God has said, then God stops doing what only God can do. Only God can add to our number day by day those who are being saved. And when we are a distinct community of his people, that's what he does. So here's my question. So what? Are we, as a community of Christ followers, distinctly shining as light in the midst of darkness? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Another statistic came out. Evangelicals under 30 think it's immoral to witness. Did you hear what I just said? The majority... More than 50% under 30 think it's immoral to witness because you're not being tolerant. Brothers and sisters, if we don't share the gospel, we're covering up the light. Jesus is saying that's illogical. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. <laughs> I regularly meet people when they figure out who I am and they ask me what I do. You know, that's the way we do it around here. What do you do? I'm, the, I'm a pastor. Where are you a pastor? I'm a pastor at Parkwood. Where's that? I love it. Which my normal next question is, how long have you lived here? Oh, I've lived here 25 years. So if Jesus meant a city on a hill is find a prominent place in a city, up high, Parkwood couldn't do any better. We're up on top of a hill. We're right in the middle of town. We couldn't pick a better location. But that's not what he means. Here's what he means. When I'm interacting with people and talking to people and they find out I'm the pastor of Parkwood, if, if, if they're not asking who's that, here's what happens that diverts it from where's that. I know who go to your church. And they usually smile or say something positive about you that follows. You see, Parkwood's not a place. It's not a place. It's not 1729 East Garrison Boulevard. It's not a brick and mortar building. It's you. It's you. And I'm asking, are we, are we distinctly shining as light? I was at a conference several years ago and they asked this question. Would your city notice if your church ceased to exist tomorrow? And I thought about it. You know, if you meant the building, like if they come over here and tore it down tomorrow, some people would notice. But some people wouldn't have a clue. Hey, they tore that building down. What was that? But here's what I know. I know this. If you all cease to be tomorrow, it will deeply impact Gaston County. Because you are making a difference in so many places, in so many neighborhoods, in so many workplaces, through so many ministries all throughout this city. If you cease to exist, the impact would be great. Now that's humbling. Not trying to brag on you. That's humbling. Now, brothers and sisters, 
We cannot presuppose on God that this will continue. We must humble ourselves before the Lord out of reverence to Christ, submitting to each other, seeking to walk in love, praying that we will be the people of God. So would you bow in prayer with me? Lord, I thank you for what you have done and what you are doing in and through this local gathering of believers. Lord, in this room right now are people who are not Christians. Holy Spirit, I pray that you're speaking to their heart, calling them to yourself. In this room right now are people who have been heavily convicted by their sin and the way they're living their life, who need to repent and turn to Christ today. I pray that you would weigh heavily upon their hearts. And Lord, there's some in this room who just need to be encouraged and rejuvenated through the power of the Spirit. As we take up this song in a minute, Lord, I pray that it will not be empty words. I pray that it will be a prayer, a joyful prayer, a victorious prayer, a hopeful prayer, that we will recognize who we are. We are your church. And you have placed us here in this place for such a time as this to bring the gospel to bear. So may we speak to one another now. And may we worship you from our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.